This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Vidya Peters, CMO of MuleSoft. Prior to MuleSoft, Vidya held positions at Intuit and Bain & Company. Vidya holds an MPA from Harvard University and an MBA from Kellogg School of Management. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Vidya talks about best practices for marketing to developers, how to market to potential talent, best practices for measurement and identifying KPIs, and much more. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And in studio, Vidya, how's it going? It's going great. It's really great to be a part of your episode today. This, this studio is really fun. Well, you know, our listeners might not know this, but you were actually a guest on a different mission podcast on IT Visionaries not too long ago um, when we were hanging out with, uh, with Joanne from Salesforce. But we're happy to have you finally in studio just to talk about you, just to talk about your background. We're going to get into a little bit of measurement and marketing, KPIs, storytelling, hiring great talent, great marketing talent. But first, how'd you get into marketing? Trial and error. (laughs) I started in strategy consulting and realized that while I loved looking at problems from an objective outside-in point of view, I really craved making change happen and delivering things and delivering impact and wasn't happy with staying at the recommendation level, which is where we left off most projects in consulting. And I dipped my toe in corporate strategy at Intuit and got drafted into a product management role and found that I wasn't good at product management. I didn't enjoy being so removed from how my feature drove ultimate impact for the business and frankly, wasn't very good at it. So I said, let me try something else. And I tried marketing and it really fit. And so it really was trial and error. I I hear a lot of people you know, coming out of college or grad school feeling like they have to have a plan and know exactly where they want to go. And I know I didn't, and and that was okay. And I benefited from some trial and error, trying on different roles, and really found my groove with marketing. I loved being close to the customer, loved being able to draw a line between the work that I did and the impact that it drove for the business, the revenue that it drove, and also the resonance that it had with customers. So it felt very gratifying. I love that. And I love when folks find marketing through a circuitous route because it shows kind of like the underlying reasons why people like marketing is not to just go into it, but it's the actual impact that you can have. You know, when you were at Intuit, marketing to small businesses, it's a very different challenge than what you have as CMO MuleSoft. Can you share a little bit more about, you know, what the company is, what you're working on and and your current role and responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. So at MuleSoft, I lead the the marketing team, which includes our corporate marketing, demand generation, product marketing, 
and field marketing uh, for the various regions. We are an enterprise software product, and so we're targeting very large enterprises, and uh, the sales cycles tend to be far longer than they would be for a small business. So the marketing feels different in, in most respects. Small business was transacted on the web, so all the sales of most of my Intuit products were either on, on the 1-800 phone number or on the website or out of a box uh, sold in retail. And um, MuleSoft doesn't sell its products in any of those channels. Yeah. And uh, it's a much more complex product with much longer deal cycles. And I've, I've enjoyed just the challenge of marketing to a different customer in a very different way. But the, some of the principles of marketing stay the same, which is what is it that you offer in very simple terms? Why does it matter? And why should anyone care to try it out over you know, their existing solution? You, you know, when we were talking before the episode, you talked about how you've been there four years and that each year almost felt like it was its own little, you know, microcosm. Can you share kind of what that, what that path has been like? I feel so blessed to be part of a journey such as MuleSoft because it has been such a hyper growth journey. And I think the learning has been very steep as a result. And I always say that just staying at MuleSoft feels like a promotion every year because yeah. every year the company changes and evolves and grows so rapidly. So in in the first year that I joined, you know, we were a privately held company, had just closed a round of funding, and we're figuring out how to define our own unique voice and message in the market that set us apart from competitors and could actually deliver a very recognizable message to customers. And it was about getting ready for the IPO. And the second year was, you know, having that IPO then it was about operating as a public company for a year, which brings its own set of challenges. And right towards the end of that year, we got acquired by Salesforce. And now for the last year, we have been learning to operate as an independent business unit within a much larger enterprise like Salesforce and have our independent go-to-market, but also take advantage of being part of Salesforce. And so each one of those years has been so unique in its own way, where the principles of marketing stay the same, but how you're going to market and how you are delivering that message changes quite quite drastically. I want to get into the measurement in marketing, how to build KPIs, um, how to measure what's working and measure that for your team. Could you look at like those in those first kind of four years, you know, and you you became CMO what, in the third year of that journey or fourth year of that journey? Halfway through that journey. So two years in. Okay, two years in. What was it like kind of building those KPIs and those measurements from, like you said, a company that was really just on a huge trajectory and you know, you didn't know what the future was going to hold, but you knew you needed to measure it? When I came from Intuit, one of the reasons I, I loved marketing Intuit is that it was very easy for me to see how my work was driving impact for the business. And so I woke up every morning and there was a dashboard and I could see how many trials signed up for my product, what the conversion rate was at the end of the 30 days, how many turned into a paying customer and what the retention and renewal rates were. Yeah. And everything that I did in marketing could be tied back to those KPIs. And when I moved to MuleSoft, I realized that was incredibly more challenging to do when you're in enterprise marketing. Those deal cycles are longer. They're not transacting on the web. And especially when you're a small growing company like MuleSoft, some of those journeys that you're on in marketing are going to take longer, such as creating brand awareness, category creation. And so, you know, we'd always have these discussions with, with executive team members to say, okay, well, I, 
I feel like we have a good team, but how do we know we're doing great marketing? Yeah. And that bothered me a lot, which is I don't want this to be an ambiguous topic. I want it to be very clear and objective what we are solving for as a marketing organization. And I want there to be no doubt in anyone's minds how we fared against those at the end of a quarter, at the end of a year. And I don't want anyone to say, well, that was good, but was it great? I want us to be able to speak about it in very clear, linear, objective terms. And so I work closely with our CEO, the rest of the marketing team, to think about what are those key KPIs that we could be measuring the business by. We actually took almost every aspect of marketing that we have And we said, what are those critical few measures that define what great looks like? And so it started from something as high up in the funnel as PR to say, what are our share of voice metrics? Not just compared to our competitors, but to the best in class enterprise software companies. Do you oversee PR? Yes. So PR and analyst relations are also part of marketing. They sit within corporate marketing. You know, when we look at web engagement scores, we're looking at traffic, engagement, conversion, you know, both for paid and organic. Then we look at the demand generation metrics, uh, which people are mostly more familiar with. You know, people are very accustomed to asking marketing about the marketing qualified leads and sales mm-hmm. and, and holding them accountable. But then we go all the way down to something like the developer communities to say, what is our total developer reach across all our channels? How are they engaging with us? What's the retention on trials? What is the percentage of customers that we can publicly reference that will speak on our behalf, that will market on our behalf? How are our assets performing? How are our events performing all across the board, whether they happen in Sydney or in Atlanta? You know, how does this white paper perform relative to a webinar that we released versus, uh, you know, a, a demo asset that we put out? And last but not least, we measure the efficiency of our marketing because it's easy to actually turn up the dial on all of those marketing metrics if you keep throwing money at it. And so this becomes a stopgap to say it's not just about exceeding expectations on all those metrics, but actually becoming very thoughtful and efficient with your spend and your journey to do that. And so that gives us then a holistic dashboard by which we hold ourselves accountable to in very objective terms, where it's not just about the clarity of the strategy, the quality of the execution, but magnitude of the impact that you drove. I want to touch on something that you said about like the developer ecosystem. I'm curious how you thought to build that and create things for that ecosystem. Because I think a lot of times, and obviously, you know, APIs are so critical, obviously, to developers. So this is something that like makes sense, but are those the folks that are buying the end product, or is that someone else? Or is it something that you just need to influence? And how did you do that? Marketing to developers is particularly challenging for a couple of reasons. And I've heard this multiple times on the show, by the way. Everyone is just like, goodness gracious, developers are so hard to market to. Uh, We were talking to uh, Harsh from Atlassian, and he was like, oh my goodness, like it's just really hard. Anyways. For the simple reason that developers don't like to be marketed to. So those two words should actually never come in a sentence together right? <laughs> because they're allergic to it. They're not the buyers of our software. They are very key influencers, though. And so how do you drive this balance of having them know your product and love your product by not directly selling it to them? Because there's nothing that they find more annoying, more allergic. Than, and they're not going to buy it. And they're not going to buy it. And they were never the buyer to begin with. But if you think about the CIO or the head of IT, 
when they are going to spend a significant amount on an integration platform, one of the first things they will do is turn to their developers and say, hey, have you heard of AnyPoint platform? And what do you think about it? Would you use it? Because they recognize that there's no point in investing in a platform that your developers won't love, adopt, and use. And so we're almost faced with two types of marketing at MuleSaw. One is the tops down, which is how do you create awareness in the C-suite with the key IT decision makers and have them understand the value prop and why they should buy MuleSoft, while a bottoms-up approach of how do you create an organic movement where developers understand our technology and our platform and are truly excited about building on it. And that's where building this community matters because developers don't want to listen to me or my marketing team, and nor should they. Yeah, no kidding. They listen to each other. There's no developer out there that's like, yeah, I want to listen to more content marketers. Exactly. You know? But I think this is it's a huge problem that we have as, as marketers, right? It's like, we know that we're not the right voice, but we know that we want to cultivate the ecosystem that puts the right voices in the room with, with those folks. I think that's exactly right. There, there are three things that make developer marketing different from everything else. One is they don't want to hear from the company. They want to hear from each other. Second, they don't want to read any of your content. They want to just use the product mm-hmm. and see how that works. Third, they don't want to meet you. They don't want to see you. They want to meet with each other. And so the question for us at MuleSoft was, how do we create the connections between developers? The MuleSoft developers that have known and loved our platform and the ones that are trying to learn and, and get to know more about it. Second, how do we create more how-tos that help our developers succeed on our platform show them the use cases, show them the demos, make it drop dead easy for them to get up on a trial and get to hello world. And then the third is how do we help them make connections with each other outside of our events, outside of our forums? Because that's when the true community develops. It's almost table stakes in order to create that cohesive community that's actively engaged. And so for us, it became more about who are the developers in our community that we can activate that you know are passionate, that love this platform, that want to speak about it and help other developers? And how do you make a drop dead easy for them to connect with others? Mm-hmm. And I think therein lies the beauty of marketing is when you find the power that you actually don't have to do the marketing, that there are customers, there are developers, there are partners that want to do it on your behalf. And all you have to do is pave the road and make it easy for them to do that. And so we really ignited and developed a meetups program where there are developers all over the world that now lead meetup groups for MuleSoft. And they're organically meeting. They're having pizza parties, doing demos, showing how the platform works, building cool things together. And and having that happen, irrespective of whether MuleSoft is in the room or, or not. Are you providing resources or, or anything to that? Like, are you paying for the pizza? <laughs> We're happy to pay for the pizza. We'll send them some swag. But beyond that, it's organically driven. What we provide is the means for them to find each other. So on our website at developer.mulesoft.com, you can find a meetup group near you and you can connect with other developers and you can plan a meetup by reaching out to us or you know volunteering to become a meetup captain or an ambassador in your region. And you can host in your office and you know we're happy to equip you with with what you need, but it's but it's really developer driven. And that's when the magic happens is is when they're so passionate about a product that they can't wait to tell others about it. That's really fascinating. You said that they want to meet with each other, not with you. Do you schedule any types of like advisory councils or things like that specifically on the developer side? 
So we have something called customer advisory boards, cabs that we run all over the world, uh, especially when we have our executives traveling for our events. We ensure that we earmark some time for them to just meet with customers. And that could be a range of uh, architects or developers that come to those cabs, share their feedback on their product, or get an early preview of product releases that are coming up. We, of course, invite developers to our events, and we'll have meetups at our events, we'll have hackathons, and those are... Those are, of course, periodic and happen throughout the year, but they nowhere match the scale and the frequency of organic meetups yeah. uh, that happen across the world. How much work and thought did you and your team put into creating the ecosystem where they could then meet with each other? Because like, I, I feel like it seems like it's a non-traditional marketing idea. I mean, it makes sense, but I think that a lot of marketing leaders that are out there listening is like, yeah, that sounds great, but like how? There has to be some sort of, you know, special sauce that gets people to, you know, want to be able to do that stuff um, or leverage something that's already already there. Yeah. Um, was there some kind of like early insights that you knew that this would be a good idea and that that it was working? So I think people often jump straight to the community. And the way we thought about it at MuleSoft is the, the three legs to that stool. And one doesn't stand without the other. And it starts with the product. The developer has to know and love and want to use your platform and product. That's almost table stakes. If you don't have uh, the awareness for your product and you're not piquing the curiosity of developers to go try it out, they're not going to want to be part of anything uh, involving that. The second part is the drive to be excellent on that product. And that has to do with training and certifications. How do you help them excel? What are the training programs that you offer? What are the badges that they can earn? So that it's not just about them using that product once, but they want to, developers want to be experts. They want to be truly great at their craft. And they want to build careers out of technologies that they're passionate about. And training and certifications are a great way for them to not only use the product, but actually build competency and skill in that in a way that helps them be even more marketable in their careers. And then comes that third and final stool is the community. When you do the first two, then it become it gives them the reason to be part of that community and share it back with other developers. And there's a lot of road paving that we had to do in terms of infrastructure, of how you build the meetup programs. How do you make it easier? But there's we have one person on developer relations who, you know, we brought on the team. Her name's Sabrina Merkel, and she's just absolutely fantastic in showing you what the power of one person can do in building a meetup program from scratch and scaling it um, to the size it is today. And it starts with thinking about the problem very differently. You don't you don't say, I want to have 200 meetup programs, and so that therefore I will hire six people. It's, what would I do differently? I, I'd templatize this. I'd make it super easy for developers across the world to adopt it, to volunteer, to be set up, and be successful in this program. And so there was a lot of investment done up front by the likes of Sabrina to to make that community come to life. Is that her only role? Yeah. So I, this is a fascinating idea because I think a lot of times we we just dual hat the heck out of all of our marketers or multiple, not just dual hats. I think there's just a lot of power in like, you know, you pin the rose on the one person who is supposed to do the job and then let them kind of like build the entire thing because then someone wakes up every single day and is thinking about, you know, how do we make developers' lives easier? Like that seems like, you know, that they're rooted in in a truth and a North Star that makes sense. Um, did you kind of feel that, that that was the case? 
That's right. And it comes back again to these KPIs. So Sabrina have, had a very strong true north on what success looked like. It was the size of that community. It was the engagement of that community. And you're absolutely right. She could wake up every morning and she knew what her true north was. It also helped that she was just incredibly passionate about, you know, yeah, developer communities. But I will say it's unusual to just have one person do this. Typically, companies have entire armies building, you know, tagged against building developer communities. What were some of the other KPIs that you used in those four years that might have been not necessarily ones that you'd seen in other places or things that you got refinement from your customers or from prospects uh, or from your leadership team that you decided you're like, hey, maybe we should be measuring this? When I came on board, I often got the question of, well, I know we're doing PR, but how do we know it's great PR? And and that bothered our team a lot because this is a very talented team, really driven at having outsized impact. And it frustrated us that it was so ambiguous um, to people on the other side. And so one of the first things we did was define a set of PR metrics where it was about not just share of voice, but it was about the tier one business coverage. It was about tier one technical coverage and you know measuring ourselves on what percentage were proactively secured. But as we went along on that and we said, oh, we're number one when we compare ourselves to competitors, one of the big aha moments we had is, let's not just compare ourselves to competitors and give ourselves an early pat on the back. Let's actually compare ourselves to best in class. Yeah. Who are the enterprise companies of a similar growth and stage that we really admire, that we think are doing amazing things in the market? And how do we compare ourselves to the best of the best? Because we found that when we did that, it pushed our level of thinking and it pushed us to approach the discipline very, very differently than what we had done in the past. And that's about, the power of metrics and setting the right metrics. Yeah. And what about the measuring the results of the people on your team? Because I think that's something that feels maybe not marketing specific a lot of times. It's like, yeah, we have shared metrics, but not individual ones. Um, how did you look at that? Was it was it individual KPIs or was it kind of team KPIs? It's it's both. And I must say we've we've enjoyed learning a lot from Salesforce since being part of Salesforce. Mm -hmm. Salesforce has uh, a process that they call the V2 Mom, mm -hmm. which is all about the vision, the values, uh, the methods, and and the measures that come with that. And so you know, and how you overcome the obstacles to achieve those those measures. And everybody across the company writes their V2 Mom. Now, the way it starts is, uh, at least for MuleSoft, the CEO of MuleSoft will write the company V2Mom, or in our case, the business unit V2Mom, and then the functional leaders write one. So I wrote one for marketing. Mm -hmm. And then my directs write their V2Mom that is very directly tied to my methods. It's nested. It's nested. So think of it as a set of nesting dolls that are completely aligned on strategy. And then you have the opportunity to flesh out those metrics because I may set certain metrics at the PR level for the, for the entire company, but members of the PR team that own specific areas of that may take that overall metric and break it into smaller metrics that they can individually be held accountable for. And then that becomes a great document to go back to as part of the development process, as part of the annual review cycle process um, to talk about performance and results. I've actually done V2 Moms in a previous company, so I know exactly what you're talking about for our listeners. Um, you should just... You can Google it, but uh, we'll or we'll link it up in the show notes. It's it's a really good, you know, thought practice to get everybody aligned, kind of from the top down, and and, and back up the chain. I want to talk storytelling, and we can keep with the KPI thread here because I want to talk about KPIs for storytelling. But 
How do you view storytelling within technology? Because I think a lot of times when you're talking enterprise software, there might not always be the most fun stories to tell, might not be the sexiest stuff. How do you view the importance of storytelling uh, in, in SaaS specifically? I think as humans, we have been pre-wired to tell stories for time immemorial, for generations. It's how you know, lessons were passed on, words were passed on. It's how you captured people's imagination. It's how you motivated them. It's how you inspired people. And I think in enterprise software, there tends to be a tendency to go straight to feature functionality. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, it's the most uninspired way to market a product. And I actually would challenge us to say that the more technical the product, the more vital the importance of storytelling is. Because I think people's eyes are glazing over all of the terms and features and bullet lists that you are throwing at them. And our challenge at MuleSoft has been over the you know, last four years is to talk about why this matters. Why does any of this matter? Because middleware, after all, is, is a means to an end. It's happening behind the scenes so that you are empowered to operate differently, mm -hmm. so that you can change the clock speed of innovation for your business. And so when we talk about companies that are completely changing experiences, when you think about you know, a decades-old fast food chain like McDonald's, that is revolutionizing and digitizing the order process, right? It's not about walking up to the counter and ordering a Happy Meal. It's about being on your couch and having a meal delivered to you with all of your favorites, all your presets, and having that you know happen through Uber. Mm -hmm. It's about you know healthcare systems. When you go into a doctor and they have your entire medical record history without you even having to tell them anything because they have done the work for you. I think we... When we talk about technology or APIs and, oh, you're connecting a system, that's almost the irrelevant how. I think what people care about is how did you change our lives and how did you make this completely revolutionary? How did you completely change the face of innovation for an industry? And I think storytelling is incredibly powerful in technology and, and underutilized as a tool. What are some of your favorites that you've seen over the years? Stories that illustrate, you know, where the company wants the customer to go, not just the you know company's products and features? You know, um, one of my favorite stories is actually a, a bank called Adam Bank um, that's, that's based in the UK. It's not even a bank. It has no physical locations. Hmm. Um, and they have none of the traditional banking features that you would think. Everything's on a mobile app. Everything is digital. Um, everything is through a highly secure verification process. And you're talking about an industry that has been steeped with, you know, very large players mm -hmm. for decades, if not, you know, over a century. And for a company to come out of nowhere and completely change the way banking happened and is doing that on the back of technology is so powerful. And, and you realize that this is happening not just in the new industries and in the new startups, but in age old industries. And so I love how how it's those kinds of stories that inspire you to think about technology very differently. What is your approach to marketing to get talent? How do you think, or maybe there isn't a difference, um, but do you think there's a difference between marketing a product versus, you know, marketing open positions to your team? 
so funny you should ask that question because I did an entire session at LinkedIn about talent marketing. So our producers may or may not have uh, known. <laughs> so it was three years ago after I joined MuleSoft, we realized that one of the biggest hurdles to our growth was hiring enough talent. We were growing so rapidly and we had just a ton of open positions and our ability to be successful in that next chapter of growth was highly dependent on having the right talent yeah. fill those roles. And uh, I was speaking with Greg Schott, our CEO, and he said, you know, this is not a HR job. It's not a recruiting job. Think of it as a marketing job. This is almost a mini CMO's job because what you're doing is you're raising awareness at the top of the funnel about MuleSoft as a company, the culture, what it stands for, why it matters. You're talking about driving leads, which is you're getting applicants in. You're driving them to the website, ensuring conversion so that they are motivated and inspired enough to submit their resume. And then you're ensuring that they come out the funnel. And so he said, you know, I think this should sit in marketing. So we actually introduced talent marketing as a function three years ago. And they focused on the talent brand. They ran digital campaigns. It was all about driving traffic to our career site and about conversion. It was about our social presence. And so we almost ran a mini marketing function within our marketing team that was focused on a completely different segment and a completely different ob objective. It was on the talent brand to drive interest in working at MuleSoft. And it had its own campaigns. We ran a campaign that got uh, a lot of eyeballs. We were offering 100000 I think it was a million dollars, for anyone that was referred that would join us as, a, as an account executive and stay with us for four years and make their account quotas. Wow. And so, you know, it was all about being creative and, you know, rising above the din in the market to actually get some attention for the hiring goals that we had at MuleSoft and, and the best talent that we wanted to fill those roles with in the market. It's so cool to hear that because as someone who used to work helping talent acquisition, you know, market opportunities, every single CEO in the Fortune 500 says their number one problem is, you know, the war for talent. Every CEO is number one, like every single year they do like whatever the like, you know, fortune, like, you know, CEO summit problems or whatever it is, it always comes up. And yet marketing falls under, in most cases, under HR, Intel and acquisition. And especially like when it comes to like hiring diverse talent, like a subset within that. So you're talking about like one of the people with the smallest budget already. And for them to go walk, you know, next door and knock on the CMO's door and and ask for budget, a lot of times that just ain't happening. And when you think about broad brand plays, like how much extra value, how much like, you know, juice you can get from the squeeze by those, you know, broad campaigns, just to highlight some of the talent stuff, just integrating it a little bit. It's probably pretty interesting. There's probably, you know, employees at your company that are working on amazing things and showcasing that might do just as well for, you know, promoting your product. Did you ever find that your talent marketing and your product marketing would some ways be a little intertwined? I think you're hitting on something that inspired our decision to put talent marketing within the marketing function because the skills are so similar. Mm -hmm. You almost do a disservice to HR and recruiting by expecting them to suddenly take on a marketing job. Because what does it take to, to craft a value proposition? How do you stand above all the other 
companies uh, that your customer is considering. The customer here is the, the potential employee, the candidate. How do you raise awareness? How do you drive traffic? What is your campaign theme for the year? Why should anyone care? Uh, what are the public endorsements that you should be leveraging? And how are your leads converting? I mean, if you think about it, there are massive demand gen organizations, massive SDRs to drive sales for any organization. And yet, if hiring is the number one constraint, there's such little discipline that goes towards filling that need. And so there are very transferable skills. What you're talking about is the same core marketing, but just you know, tuned to a different audience and a different outcome. Well, and I think the same customer experience that we talk about all all the time in marketing, people just completely forget about when it comes to, to talent, where it's like you spend all this time, effort, and energy and money to try to get the right candidates to the door and they get to a recruiter and, you know, shout out to all the recruiters out there. We love you too. But that recruiter, you know, they don't meet that one, you know, checkbox criteria. You know, it's mandatory set eight to 10 years of, you know, blank and they have seven years. Automatically, that person doesn't ever get an interview or maybe they get a screener. It's wild. Like, and, and then how they flow through that talent process Marketing, that is important. One of my old customers back in the day used to, I had this this idea to do, anyone who applied could get a, basically like a 20 minute screener within 24 hours, no matter what, because this is like a veteran hiring initiative. And I was like, it's pretty simple math. First to contact, first to contract. Like these are people getting out of the military. If you're the person who's super helpful to them in their decision and just goes in and says like, hey, here's here's roles at our company, but like, I'll just, you know, like it's 20 minute consulting call. I guarantee you, you're going to win more of the deals and stuff like that. Like responsiveness, just being a person that they can talk to was like hugely valuable. It's like that sort of stuff that I think marketers think about all the time to get customers. Like, how can we get, you know, customers engaged in a way and they have the actual resources to make that stuff happen. A lot of times like in HR, you don't have you don't you don't have the bandwidth. You don't have the people or the human beings that can do those sort of things. And so they have to think creatively about that. And it might not be, you know, they might not have the technical skills or the savvy or or the ideas to kind of make something like that work. That's right. I also think that the stakes of not doing it right are higher in talent than they are in sales, right? So if if you're trying to get a certain type of customer, the worst thing that can happen is they become a customer, they don't like the product, or it's not the right fit for them, and then they move on. But when you don't hire the right person and talent, it actually sets the company and the team back by several months because not only have they not done the work or not had the impact, but having them transition into a new role and then resetting the clock on hiring sets your organization back even further. Totally. Uh, you know, one of the things, one of the best practices I saw, and I forget who this was, so I apologize to whoever it was, was they had a redo button or basically like, hey, I just completely botched this interview. Like uh, something was going wrong or like I missed my flight or whatever it is. And you basically got a redo if like you thought you bombed the interview. And I've always thought about this, whether it's a sales rep or whether it's a recruiter of like, shouldn't we just be like at the end of it, like, I just straight up didn't like my sales rep. I didn't like the recruiter. I didn't like whoever it was. But like, I just want to respectfully ask for someone different. We've all had a sales rep that we freaking hated. We've all had like a recruiter, you know, that we couldn't stand to work with or whatever it is. Shouldn't we just give a little bit of the onus back to the back to the person and say, hey, if this is what makes you feel comfortable, like we would gladly, you know, let you do a uh, do a swap. I love that idea that, you know, nobody's infallible. And you know what? 
if if you feel like you could do better, why not take another chance at that? Yeah, there's and that, you know, and I think people get caught in the like, you know, the only get the you know, one time to make a first impression sort of thing. It's like, guess what? No job in any company is you just show up once and that's it. It's about, you have to do this every quarter, every day, you have to show up and be great. So the fact that, you know, they had a bad hair day and didn't feel, you know, comfortable in their own skin, like, yeah, it's super stressful to try to get a job, you know? Yeah. And there's something to be said about someone who is self-aware to know that they didn't do something great and wants to make it better, right? That's the perfect example of a growth mindset. Totally. We'll take more of those. You know, you had this this road to IPO and you had obviously IPOing the quarterly, you know, cycle, everything kind of changes and then you get acquired. I'm curious, like in that kind of timeline, maybe where you were to where you are now, how do you look at field marketing v product marketing as different functions within, you know, the broader strategy? That's a great question because getting ready for the IPO and going public really raised the bar for us in terms of how we did product marketing. Because previously we felt, oh, you know, our audience is very technical. They're architects and developers. And so we could rest on our great laurels of continuing to speak, you know, very, very detailed technology speak that frankly, most people, most people's eyes would glaze over. Yeah. Talk nerdy to me. Yeah. Like SaaS marketing 101. But the onus is on you when you are starting to... Uh, resonate with investors, with the layman who's trying to understand why it is that you're going public and what it is that you do. And now for us in our new chapter, now that we're part of Salesforce, to more of the business user, because that's the core audience for Salesforce. They have a lot of line of business users who are purchasing sales cloud or marketing cloud or service cloud that know that they have an integration problem, but have no idea what MuleSoft does and why it matters to them. And so it's actually really helped us focus on simplifying our message to speak about our technology and our platform in as layman terms as possible without discounting the power and the capabilities, which often is a fine balance. We'll often find marketing wanting to simplify the message and you can hear the engineer saying, hey, but, you know, there's so much more about what we do. Let's get it all in there. And so it's actually created a really good discipline for us. To, to say, hey, if I were to put this in front of a, a line of business user in Salesforce, if I were to show this to an average AE you know, at Salesforce, or I, if an investor were to hear this on a quarterly earnings call, would they understand what we're trying to communicate? Would it matter to them? And so I think it helped take our messaging and our marketing to that next level of simplicity. And there's also the onus on the field marketing side, because a lot of this is not just about the product, but how you're going to market in each of your uh, geos mm-hmm. and, and ensuring that you're keeping the message consistent and you're not diluting it as it's going across. So what we've tried to do is create really strong messaging frameworks that other teams can self-serve from and adopt and use uh, without losing the thread on what it is that we're trying to communicate. Are those frameworks for for the field much more streamlined and simplified than they were in the past? Or how is that different? That has been such an important focus area for the year. I always liken the field members looking for information about our product, our platform, about our solutions, um, similar to going into the biggest public library and then wondering where the heck that answer is. Yep. And The onus was on us this year to say, if our field organization is growing at double digit and we're really scaling our organization, 
The onus is on marketing to simplify that message and make it really crisp and really clear what those critical few questions that they need to know the answers to and where they can find them. So we call that project internally MuleSoft IQ, mm. but it's the canonical record of content that we feel everyone at the in the field organization needs to know and understand in order to be able to sell our products. And it's not very long. It's it's a list of 20 to 25 pieces of content that they would master in order to be successful with effectively positioning our platform to the customer. And this is so important because as an organization, it's very easy to have bloat mm-hmm. and the famous Mark Twain letter, which is if I had more time, I would have you know, written a shorter letter. We're really introducing the discipline this year of doing fewer but higher impact, higher quality content pieces that can truly enable our field. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are going to be fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing, with the world's number one CRM. You know Pardot well, of course, but our listeners should definitely check it out if they haven't already. We love Pardot. You will too. Lightning round questions, fast and easy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is most fun? Spotify. What is your favorite vacation spot? This is a hard one because I actually love visiting new places and traveling to new places. I think it just opens up a whole new perspective. But most recently, I really enjoyed um, being in Kauai. That's where I was most recently with my family. And, you know. Uh, So I just got back from Kauai and not too long ago. And we've had like five guests that have all been to Kauai. Crazy. I just feel so so lucky to be able to, you know, go on hikes there. It's so beautiful. So much of it is just so well-preserved and uh, you can really disconnect from technology and, you know, just be at one with nature and feel like you're on a completely different planet. Couldn't agree more. What ad campaign have you seen recently that you're envious of? Oh, I love this um, recent campaign that I saw where... BMW released a video because the longtime CEO of Mercedes recently retired and uh, he had been with the company for decades. And BMW just released this wonderful video where they show the farewell for the CEO of Mercedes. And then at the end, they show the CEO of Mercedes going to the garage and saying, ah, finally, and drives out in a BMW. Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) But I think it could have been cheeky, but they ended with a really nice note saying, thank you for being such a great competitor that we really aspire to, you know, put our best foot forward with. So I thought it was very tastefully done. And uh, and I thought it, it, it struck a, a really great note. That's really fun. What book or podcast have you read or listened to recently that you enjoyed? I read this book recently called Meditations. It's by Marcus Aurelius, and I absolutely loved it. I found it life-changing because sometimes in our day-to-day, you feel like the problems you're experiencing are unique to you or your company or your life. And when you read, I mean, these are just a set of his journal entries, you know, one of the most successful Roman emperors. And you read about his trials and tribulations and you realize that nothing has changed. For thousands of years, we are people that, you know, face challenges and our job is to find the the most compassionate way to work with other people and overcome them. And I think it was just a very humbling book to read. And I, I keep it by my bedside and I always go back to read it. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? 
I think technology is just changing the face of marketing so fast. If I think about what technology stacks looked like even five years ago, they were pathetic. Like most of them, you use maybe like three or five different apps and systems, and they took forever to bring together. And today, our marketing tech stack alone is 45 different applications, and and it's quickly evolving and changing. And I'm always hearing about, oh, look at what is you know possible with this in terms of personalization or AI and bots. And I think it's a very exciting time to be living in this era where absolutely every experience is being challenged and is getting more innovative, more personalized, and and very dynamic. What's your best advice for a first-time CMO? My advice for a first-time CMO would be to, to really understand your cross-functional partner's needs, whether that's your head of field, sales, head of product, because your job is not just about marketing. It's actually about your first team is that executive team. It's about solving for the business first. And marketing is one of the ways you solve for that. And people often underestimate. When I, when I meet other CMOs, they're very focused on the technology stack, getting the message right. Yes, absolutely. But I think it starts with what you're trying to deliver for the company, starting with what you as an executive team want to deliver for the business, for the customer. When you start there, marketing just becomes a natural strategic partner in that process. What question? you never get asked, that I did not ask you today, that you wish you had been asked? You know, people often ask me this question of, oh, how do you get to CMO? How do you get to CMO? And, and I always say, I never intended to get to CMO. And that's the question I ask back to people is, what do you enjoy doing? And do that really well. And whether you get to CMO or not is irrelevant because then you're having fun every day. I never had a plan to get here. I just happened to love marketing and kept doing that. And I think people underestimate that, particularly when you're early in your career, you feel like you need a plan to get somewhere and everyone's in a rush to get there. Gosh, careers are so long. Lives are so long. There's so much learning to be had and worry less about the destination and just enjoy the the journey getting there, the learning that comes with that. I love it. Thanks so much for hanging out today, Vidya. Thanks for coming in studio. We appreciate it. It's been great having you here. Um, Anything to plug? No, it's been great to be part of this show. Go check out MuleSoft.com. We, especially if you're a developer, check out our platform. We'd love for you to try it out. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. 
At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.